A word of warning, this podcast explores graphic and disturbing stories and includes strong language. It therefore may be unsuitable for our young listeners or other people who may find it disturbing. Hello and welcome to True Crime Daily, the podcast, bringing you high-profile and under-the-radar cases from across the country every week. Today is Wednesday, January 8th, 2020. I'm Owen Michael. With me is Mike Cavaluzzi, a criminal defense attorney in Los Angeles, practicing law since 1992 including as a public defender in Southern California here. I'm saying that right, Cavaluzzi? Yes, you are. Excellent. Uh, welcome, Mike. Thank you for being it's with us to today. Be here. Uh, much appreciated. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, the firm that you started and kind of your kind of general background experience. I've been in, I was in the public defender's office from 1997 to 2001. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's really where I sort of learned um, cut how to yeah, cut my teeth on those mm-hmm. cases. And uh, then I went into private practice in 2001. I joined my sister, who had been a public defender as well. And we started our own practice. And um, I'm still doing it now, but she was appointed to the bench uh, oh. last January 2019. Congratulations to her. So I'm now a one-man show. And we, my office handles everything from you know uh, garden variety DUIs or petty theft cases to very serious uh, murder cases and rape cases and very serious felonies. Gotcha. Well, we cover all that kind of uh, stuff here on True Crime Daily, the podcast. So, uh, again, welcome. Thanks for being in here. Um, This week, we've got a detailed case out of Idaho, a state that we don't always hear about uh, nationally in the news. Uh, And we also have a case of a slain mom, a faked pregnancy, and a kidnapped baby in Texas. But first, let's go to that Idaho story. This is a story has a lot of moving parts, so let me try to lay this out chronologically. Uh, a lot of good stuff here as far as details, a lot of stuff to be solved. Um, the overview, is, uh, there's two kids are missing and two adults are fugitives. The adults are reportedly involved in a cult, depending on uh, who's reporting here. The kids are reportedly in danger. Law enforcement says the adults are persons of interest in their disappearance. Both adults, uh, now married, each have spouses that are recently deceased in suspicious circumstances. The family uh, of the children is offering a reward to help find the missing kids. Uh, I'd encourage uh, readers and viewers and listeners to go to the Post Register out of Idaho Falls for an excellent timeline in this case. Uh, I've drawn a lot of material from that. So this, is, uh, this case is out of Rexburg, Ohio, which is about 35 miles northeast of Idaho Falls. I haven't been to Idaho yet myself in my travels, but I hear uh, it's gorgeous uh, up there. I hear it's beautiful, and, and that Boise is one of the most fastest growing cities in uh, in America that but, people really want to live there. And, and the state is not overly populated. So they've got a, a little bit of room there, but again, we don't hear a lot of, a lot of stuff nationally. So this one was a particularly interesting, uh, Idaho falls, uh, as I said, 35 miles Northeast of there is Rexburg, which has a population of about 28,000 people. Uh, on November 26th, 2019, so a couple months ago, a woman in Utah called police in Rexburg and asked for a welfare check concerned about her two grandkids there. Uh, Rexburg police went to the residence where Lori Vallow, the kid's mother, told cops the uh, kids are in Arizona with uh, relatives. These kids uh, that were reported missing that they wanted the welfare check on, that's Tylee Ryan, she's 17 years old, and J.J. Vallow, who's seven, uh, unrelatedly diagnosed with autism. Um, Relatives uh, contacted in Arizona by the police told them that they hadn't seen the kids. So the next day, November 27th, cops returned to the residence with a search warrant. They found that the couple had vacated abruptly, according to witnesses. Uh, The two kids were nowhere to be found when they saw the couple leave. Kids had not been reported missing by anyone uh, until the grandparents contacted 
police to, for the welfare check. And the, uh, the couple is Lori Vallow. This is the children's mother and her new husband, Chad Daybell. So, uh, obviously concerned parents, concerned family, that kind of thing, checking on welfare. Uh, it's a fairly common thing. Um, I'm not sure how much experience you've had uh, with that, but out of state kind of thing, you're a little bit helpless. You want to call a law enforcement agency over there and, uh, and have them check on it. It's got to be a little bit source of nervousness when uh, something like this <clears throat> develops. Uh, on December 20th, so basically uh, about a month later, Rexburg police announced that uh, Tylee and JJ are missing and asked for, they went public and asked for assistance and tips finding them. The next day, December 21st, uh, police in a press conference announced that Chad Daybell and Lori Vallow were persons of interest in the disappearance. Said the couple had uh, told them several stories that were conflicting about where the kids were, and the kids were obviously not there. Um, as far as uh, conflicting stories and things like that, that's not, uh, that's not you know, the, the standard thing is it's illegal to lie to cops, right? It is illegal to lie to cops. In yeah, any, I mean, you a, a person a person always has the ability to refuse to speak to law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you choose to speak to law enforcement, you need to tell them the truth. If you lie to them, you're guilty of a crime. Mm-hmm. Uh, here in Los Angeles, you're guilty of either lying to a police um, officer as a misdemeanor, or you could also be guilty of obstruction of justice because when you lie to a police officer, you're um, impacting their ability to effectively investigate a case, right? So that's where the lying becomes a real problem and becomes criminal. Wild goose chase, misleading kind of thing like that. Yeah, this case reminds me a little bit of the Casey Anthony case where um, Casey Anthony's daughter was missing over a period of time. And it was her parents who became extremely concerned and wanting to get answers from their daughter that they were not getting. Mm -hmm. And that seems to be the case here where the grandparents um, – of Tylee and JJ are realizing that they're not getting any information on where their grandkids are and they want law enforcement to check on them and make sure that everything's okay. Because obviously uh, Lori Vallow is not giving them answers, which seem to be helpful in determining where are the children or how are the children doing? Are they okay? And they, you know, as, as we'll reveal here, they have some cause for uh, cause for concern with the uh, with family developments and you know just want to make sure that these kids are, are doing okay um so shortly after these announcements on december 30th rexburg police announced that they strongly believe that the kids lives are in danger uh that's fair that's pretty serious police say uh mother Lori vallow quotes completely refused to assist this investigation and chose instead to leave the state with her new husband uh, I'm not a parent myself, but I'm sure that uh, a lot of parents out there kind of can't quite uh, wrap their head around how that would happen. Um, on January 3rd, so last week, Rexburg Police, Fremont County Sheriff's Office uh, personnel and FBI agents arrived at Daybell's, Chad Daybell's Idaho property, uh, and they execute a search warrant. They search the house property, they use metal detectors, they search the barn. They collect uh, more than 43 items, including computers, cell phones, journals, documents, and medications, according to the post-register report, um, with, uh, with searching for this kind of thing. Obviously, nothing there indicates anything out of the ordinary. I mean, that's usually what they're going to go for, any sort of documentation, obviously, and uh, electronics that will have any kind of record on yeah. this kind of I mean, stuff. I think what's out of the ordinary is that they're not there, right? I mean, exactly. this is where they live and they're gone. They right. vacated with the kids and they're not saying where the kids they are. Went, so They went quick too. Um, yeah, so everything might be normal in the house, but obviously 
the glaring thing that's changed is that they've suddenly and they said that they, they they found medications there as well which uh you know uh, who, who, that's pure speculation on my part obviously but uh you kind of wonder were you leaving in such a hurry that you're leaving your own medications there or if any of these children particularly if the one kid is a special needs does that indicate this kid is not going to need the special uh, is not going to need the medication anymore Getting a little ahead of myself here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's actually very easy to get medication from wherever you are. There's always a Walgreens really nearby. True. I do know that. So if you leave medication behind, you could always get it replaced. But obviously, had they gotten this medication replaced, there would be we a would record know about of it. it. Exactly. That's right. Uh, obviously, <clears> uh, pharmacies communicate and, and cooperate with law enforcement and all the rest. Uh, January 7th this week, JJ's grandparents announced in a press conference, they announced a $20,000 reward for the return of the two kids. Um, they also said that they think uh, officially Chad and Lori are involved in a cult. The grandmother said her last contact with uh, was with JJ in an online video for thirty for thirty six seconds back in August. She also uh, told uh, a news outlet that she felt like the kid was looking off camera and may have been being directed before she was sort of cut off. So uh, some warning bells went off for her. Um, a friend of Tylee's reported that she got a text message from or she got multiple text messages from her in October, but she suspected it wasn't Tylee sending the text due to the writing style. Um, as anybody who has kids or have dealt with kids, texties can be, uh, you know, very distinctive depending on who you talk to or whatever. It's, that's tough to fake. So uh, there was a little red flag going on there. Uh, Tylee Ryan, the 17-year-old daughter, she's the child of Lori Vallow and her third husband, JJ, the seven-year-old son, was adopted in 2014 by Lori Vallow and her fourth husband. JJ is the grandnephew of the fourth husband. So he's biologically not related to Lori Vallow, uh, but she is, he is related to the children, or excuse me, the grandparents who reported this. Just, uh, there's some convoluted uh, relations here, but in 2020, who isn't? Um, Lori also has, Lori Vallow has a third son who's not involved in this case. He's 23 uh, that's from her second marriage. However, that, uh, that son released a video this week imploring his mother to cooperate with law enforcement in finding the kids. He's obviously also concerned. So Lori and her fourth husband move with JJ and Ty Lee to Kauai in Hawaii by the end of 2014. About two years after that, they moved to Arizona. Going back to Chad Daybell and his wife, Tammy Daybell, they moved from Utah to Idaho in 2015. They had met in college at Brigham Young. University. They married in 1990 uh, and they had five children together, not involved in this particular case or any case that we know of. Uh, they moved to Idaho after Chad Daybell reportedly twice heard voices or a voice telling him, telling him he's supposed to move to Rexburg, the Post Register reports. He wrote about it on his blog. On this blog, you can check it out. Uh, it's, um, it talks a lot about uh, religious beliefs and life changes and that kind of stuff. Um, police obviously are investigating some of those entries. Uh, hasn't been a lot of there hasn't been any recent activity on it. Chad Daybell is an author. His website says he's written more than twenty five books. Uh, books can be described as Mormon literature, giving uh, quotes readers a better understanding and emotional connection to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Church of Latter Day Saints. Some of these fictional books are about the end of the world, which is always a little uh, can be uh, unsettling. Obviously, you know anybody can write about whatever they like, but uh, this is all being. Part of this investigation, obviously. Uh, and he ran the related publishing company with his wife, Tammy. Uh, they had run it since 2004. Tammy, 49, died in her sleep on October 19th, 2019. Death was ruled a natural cause. 
her dad said that he had seen her and she was healthy just about two weeks before that. Dad said uh, Chad Daybell told him she had gone to bed with a bad cough the night before then never woke up. Chad Daybell then marries Lori Vallow, the other person in this, uh, in this situation, two weeks after that on November 2nd, 2019. Uh, you know, not trying to cast dispersions, but that's a quick turnaround for, for, <laughs> for a wedding. Um, and this particular woman has, uh, uh, this would be her fifth marriage. Chad Daybell is uh, 51. He's the fifth husband of Lori, who is 46. Also in November, a witness reportedly said the couple had told them that Tylee had died in 2017. And another witness reported that Chad told them that Lori has no minor children. It was obviously red flags. Why would you, obviously it's not illegal to lie to your neighbor or somebody you're traveling with, but kind of a red flag there. Um, so a friend, uh, in the background there, a friend, Larry, Val- Lori Vallos told, uh, Fox five in New York that Lori had started to become obsessed with Chad's books in 2015. She went on several podcasts with Chad. Uh, these podcasts are similarly related religious, uh, themes talking a little bit about end of days, that kind of thing. Um, in February of last year, she reportedly disappeared for 58 days, 58 days. You know, that's, uh, what was that two months? Um, husband and uh, kids don't know where she went. That same, uh, the same month, her, her fourth husband, Charles, filed for divorce. He claimed that Lori threatened to murder him, uh, and, she, and he said he also, she stole $35,000 from his business. From the divorce court documents, this is quoted, on January 29, 2019, during a phone conversation between the parties and after their physical separation, mother informed father, so that would be Charles, uh, Lori informing Charles, that she was a god assigned to carry out the work of the 144,000 at Christ's second coming in July, 2020. And that if father got in her way of her mission, she would murder him. Um, I'm not sure you probably don't have a lot of divorce, um, proceedings in your line of work. Well, you just gotta, that's gotta indicate some things. You know, uh, I always say that everything intersects with criminal law. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, when people are getting divorced, their emotions run really high. And often allegations are made, whether true or not, mm-hmm. perhaps to gain advantage in the divorce proceedings. Um, so while I don't specifically handle divorce cases, divorces are often a part of the kinds of cases that I do handle, which mm-hmm. might be around child abuse, domestic violence, mm-hmm. uh, criminal threats, mm-hmm. um, something that a, that a former spouse <clears throat> is accusing their ex of, of committing. So, so it's... Uh, these things, these two things intersect. So I do have some experience with uh, romantic relationships in the end stages, let's say. <laughs> and this would be uh, similarly, if this is made it into court documents, this isn't necessarily, you're, I'm not sure who the husband would be talking to in this. Would he be t- talking to the court? It wouldn't be, so nope. he could lie in that situation versus lying to law enforcement. How does that Well, well no, exactly? the way that it would normally work and probably where these statements were pulled from <clears throat> were uh, declarations, mm-hmm. uh, supporting declarations that were filed um, in some kind of family court, perhaps to, um, in, in this case, uh, get some form of custody over JJ. Mm-hmm. And so he would have filed something saying that he wanted custody. And in order to support his um, fight for custody, he would file declarations about his experiences with his ex-wife and the fact that she's become perhaps delusional, um, threatening, Unstable. So the declaration would be sort of uh, either a, a statement or a, a, a verbal statement or a typewritten thing versus a deposition where 
deposition then is actually in the court proceedings. Do I have that right? This is not a deposition. Yeah, generally it's a declaration is a written document mm-hmm. and it's signed by the person making the declaration and it is under penalty of perjury. Gotcha. So you absolutely can be charged with felony perjury if you lie in a declaration that's filed with the court. So it does give some added credibility to the declaration, does not mean that it's true because sure. again, if you're dealing with a couple at the end of their marriage, he might have a motive to lie as well and to paint the worst picture possible of her mm-hmm. so that he could get custody of his son. Mm-hmm. Um, but also because he's willing to put his name on it and sign it under penalty of perjury, it um, right. gives it an added weight, mm-hmm. of you know, uh, an added element of reliability because he's willing to really sign his name to it mm-hmm. and uh, expose himself to possible criminal prosecution mm-hmm. if it's proven to be false. Um, and the history here with Lori and with Chad, even with Chad and Tammy, uh, shows some real um, extreme uh, religious views. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so it seems that they have some sort of um, credibility to them based on just what we know about the books that Chad has written. Um, and his wife was very, his wife Tammy mm-hmm. was right. very involved in the publication of those books. And um, then Lori, I think, ultimately got her niece involved in this. Um, I, I hesitate to call it a cult in the research that I did this. Um, I think it's called preparation of a people. Yeah. Um, or preparing a people, preparing a people, right. preparing a people. Um, there doesn't seem to be a lot of literature on them as a cult mm-hmm. from what I could see. There were certainly a lot of, um, speaking events and, um, I should say that I'm quoting, Pre, uh, news releases and things like that. I'm not certainly not speculating yeah, that it is but, a cult, but that's how it's been described. But, but it is interesting to me because you know I, I do think probably the police will investigate exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. If it was developing into a cult, has it become a cult? Who was watching these videos? Who was at the speaking engagements? If there were a, a live audience there, because um, the one possibility is that Chad and um, Lori. Um, have left the kids with someone that Mm -hmm. perhaps if somebody believes these sorts of extreme views that the world is coming to an end, that there may be um, godlike figures, Mormon godlike figures walking the planet that are preparing for the end of days, somebody who follows that kind of fanatical belief might also be willing to um, watch the kids and care for the kids and keep them secreted. Mm Um, for Lori and Chad, believing that Lori and Chad are some kind of messianic figures that are going to save the world I'm or, thinking or of like people a, for the end. Waco or something like that, where <clears throat> that's, you, that. you have David Koresh as the head, but all the kids are being taken here by sort of caretakers, like you go do your, your, your important that's, work and, 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 and so on. That's exactly right. So I think whoever is following uh, this preparing a people or, or any of sort of the series of books that Chad has written um, might be involved and or have knowledge of where the kids are, or even if they've been harmed. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so going back to the divorce court uh, situation here, a month after this this uh, declaration was filed, uh, Charles withdraws and the divorce is dismissed. He says he wants to work it out, uh, wants to work on the marriage with her. In July, though, uh, only months later, Charles, this same fourth husband, he goes to pick up JJ from Lori's house uh, in Arizona. They were apparently separated uh, at the time. So Lori's brother, Alex, gets into an altercation with Charles, basically in the, at the house. They get into an argument, and Charles uh, is shot twice in the chest yes. and 
guys. Uh, Alex, the, the brother, charge, uh, no charges were filed because he claimed uh, he shot him in self-defense. And it's Arizona. <laughs> it's a gun-friendly state. That, yeah, and no, I'm, I'm actually serious about that. Absolutely. That's, that's right. certainly a, in there. gun-friendly states. Mm-hmm. They're going to be more um, open to the right. arguments of self-defense. Right. And um, yeah, so I, I, I do think and it is, matters. you know, witnesses there and, and et cetera. Uh, the property manager, as an aside, it's been reported that he said that later on the same day of that shooting, there was a loud pool party at the house and, and loud music and, and all the rest, which, uh, you know, we're taking his word for it or this person's word for it. But uh, that sort of seems incongruous. However, uh, within about a month after that, the service dog for JJ, the seven-year-old boy who uh, has special needs, the, the service dog is returned to the kennel where he was, he was bought, which is uh, curious. Then uh, in September, Lori moves herself and takes JJ and Tylee up to Rexburg, Idaho to meet up with Chad Daybell. Uh, in Oct- on October 9th, 2019 of this year, or excuse me, of last year, Tammy Daybell is unloading groceries from her car in their driveway in Rexburg, Idaho. A man in a ski mask runs up to her and points a gun at her and pulls the trigger several times. Nothing happens. She writes about it in her Facebook posts. She thinks it may have been a paintball gun. She reports it to the Fremont County Sheriff's Office. They investigate, but uh, they think maybe it's a prank because uh, nothing had happened here. So certainly um, disconcerting if uh, that would happen. Uh, but 10 days after that, October 19th, Tammy is found dead in bed, as we said. It was originally ruled natural causes. Chad said that uh, she went to bed with a bad cough and woke up dead. Um, December 11th, 2019, authorities have now exhumed Tammy's body for an autopsy by law enforcement after the series of events. This is in the same month that the, the kids are reported missing and uh, suspicions are raised and they're worried about their, their things. So now they're circling back around to, to find out uh, we don't have autopsy results on that. Uh, that stuff is still pending. We don't. I mean, we don't know where law enforcement is with that. But uh, that's a pretty major step to exhume a body uh, it is. after this. So obviously there's um, some probable cause there. Although there are a lot of dead bodies. So there's really reason to exhume uh, Tammy Daybell's, Day that's yeah, for sure. And the, so Lori's brother, Alex, the guy who shot the fourth husband, Charles, he died in Arizona uh, basically a day or two, uh, basically a couple of days after this yeah. uh, body was exhumed. And the cause of death on that is, is uh, not publicly known. It's currently under investigation. Boy, what a, what a series of coincidence uh, and events there. Yeah. Um, so. and, and just giving Arizona the benefit of the doubt, um, Alex might have died before they completed their investigation mm-hmm. and made a final determination of whether or not to, to charge him. Because I, I could tell you that in Los Angeles, um, if somebody shoots another person, it's going to be fully investigated and somebody's going to be charged with a crime, whether or not they'll ultimately be convicted of murder or even voluntary manslaughter. Um, who knows? Uh, but certainly the police would take very seriously if an unarmed person gets shot twice and killed. Um, and I would think that maybe Arizona would take it as seriously. And in fact, what um, finished their uh, investigation was actually Alex's death. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. As we say, it's it's still uh, currently under, under investigation. Uh, there's this twenty thousand dollar reward for for help uh, finding these kids and getting them back. Again, I uh, urge our listeners and our viewers to go to postregister.com to check out the coverage of this case for more even even more details. There's uh, some other extended family that sort of may or may not have followed them up to Idaho to 
for religious uh, enthusiasm about this about this situation. Um, it also strikes me that they that they haven't found or they have at least publicly we have no idea where Chad and Tam or Chad and uh, Lori are. Um, would abstractly not about this case, but uh, what's your uh, opinion about how difficult it is to disappear when you're, when there's a national, I I think it's really difficult to disappear. Um, I mean, you can go off the grid. There are certainly areas of the, in the United States where people really don't want to be found. Utah and Idaho, for example. Yeah. Utah and Idaho. Um, but I still think it's really difficult to, I mean, you still need to sustain yourself. You need to still need to get food. You still need to get water. You're still going to need to interact with people. And even if it's somebody who's involved in this cult or sect or followers, however we want to refer to them, um, it's always a risk that you're going to lose someone and they're going to decide to turn you in or they're going to interact with another person. So to fully disappear is kind of difficult in, in today's day and age. But also um, what the law enforcement feels very confident about is that uh, Tylee and JJ are not with them. Mm-hmm. They seem to know that for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they might have some kind of idea of where they are and what's going on with them because they seem very confident that the kids are not with them. The fact that they publicly said that these kids may be in danger may be as simple as they're not in the care of their legal guardians. And so you don't know who's taking care of them. So it's just sort of a low, low grade level threat. Uh, on the other hand, kids, kids could be buried out in the the desert or who knows what. I mean, and again, similar to the Casey Anthony case, I just think that it is completely against all of our instincts. This idea that a parent with a child who has perhaps disappeared or harmed or dead is not actively engaged in an, in an investigation to locate them. Mm-hmm. And Casey Anthony seemed completely disengaged in trying to locate her daughter. And Lori and Chad are, um, seem very disengaged in trying to locate her children. They actively seem to yeah, be washing their it, hands that, of the entire that's situation. That's exactly right. And so I think that shows perhaps a consciousness of guilt. I think that's what the p- prosecution, that was their, really the focus of of their a case was that she was behaving so bizarrely and like somebody who didn't care uh, where her daughter was. And I think that's kind of what's animating um, the investigation and the into, into Chad and Lori is that why wouldn't they be actively involved either in letting law enforcement know that the kids are okay mm-hmm. or in assisting law enforcement and making sure that they're okay. It does indeed seem speculation, obviously, but uh, that visit by law enforcement, boom, we're out of here. That, that's um, right. However, let's say that they were found tomorrow or they they, they surrendered at a, at a police uh, station or something along those lines, or they're found out camping somewhere or, or what, whatever. At this point, um, obviously we're going with whatever details law enforcement has released. At this point, the only thing that they could conceivably be prosecuted with is uh, potentially lying to, to, to police. Lying to authorities. At this point, they could probably also be charged with some kind of child endangerment. Negligence or endangerment. Um, Yeah, because they have not um, uh, made sure that especially JJ's welfare Mm -hmm. is secure. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, with Tylee, there is an argument, I guess, that a 17-year-old could have run away. She's also graduated high school, we should say. Uh, Apparently, both kids are highly intelligent, and uh, she had already graduated. So there's some... To your to your to your point there that 
she you yeah, could say even, that she's a lot more independent than yeah, the average 17-year-old. Yeah, exactly. But then there's the concern because J.J., even though he's autistic, apparently has a really great recall, yeah. a great memory. And I think there's a fear that perhaps J.J. witnessed something, that right. he knows something, right. and that he can actually relate that story effectively, even despite his autism. And that seemed that going back to the motive. Going back to the Lori's brother shooting uh, her fourth husband in the, in the driveway at the Arizona house. I've read, uh, read some news report or two about that too, that the, the kid may or may not have witnessed something along those lines. And, um, but yeah, obviously we're speculating. I'm not trying to cast aspersions here, but boy, that uh, would be incredibly cold blooded if that was uh, uh, what you decided that you had to do to stay above the, stay out of jail. Yeah. And, and, uh, look, there, there really are a lot of dead bodies here. I mean, there are two of, uh, Tammy's ex, ex, Lori's ex-husbands. Right. There's Tammy herself, Chad's wife, and there's, uh, Alex, Mm -hmm. her brother. And then again, her niece's husband says that he was shot at at some point right. after his it was a drive-by shooting in yeah. Arizona. You know, yeah, that he. I, I don't want to get too speculative about that, but um, there's not a lot of drive-by shootings in, in Chandler, Arizona, as far as uh, uh, as far as it's suburban and all yeah. this. That's a red flag. And you're right; the third husband died in 2018 from a, a heart attack. Um, I'm not sh- entirely sure whether they're going back to investigate that. I have to think that that's got to be an issue. I would think that it has to be because. You know, it's when Tammy first here. died, they thought that it was of natural causes right. and a heart attack would be a natural cause. Right. And so now that they've exhumed her body to determine whether or not that's, uh, you know, correct, that she died of natural causes, I would think that perhaps they would do the same with um, yeah. uh, Tammy's third husband. Due diligence. Yeah, to make sure they exhume the body and let's really get to the bottom of whether or not this was a heart attack or something else. For something along those lines for an exhumation for that long, obviously this is directly related and fairly recent with the exhumation of Tammy, but the this third husband who died in 2018, since that's, that would, how, how would that work? Do you need the family's permission of that? Or is that law enforcement says, this is germane to this case, so we can kind of go ahead and get a court order to do this. If, if law enforcement determines that it's relevant to their investigation of all of these current matters, mm-hmm. um, they could do it without the family's consent. That's my understanding. Mm-hmm. Okay. I would have to confirm that. So sure, I don't sure. want to take that to the bank, but I believe that law enforcement could get some kind of a type of search warrant mm-hmm. and get access to the body. They may want to first get some sort of approval. Um, if you're from the, the family, family, you probably, with this chain of events going forward, you probably kind of want to yes. know yourself. But if, if, uh, I'm not, and I'm not sure I didn't, look this deeply at this, but was Lori married to that third husband when he died? I don't think so. So she would not be next of kin. Um, and I would I imagine that his next of kin would, would consent to his exhumation and their, and the police's ability to investigate fully whether he really died of a heart attack. I'd certainly want to know. Yeah. You know, there's just a lot of suspicious behavior and a, a lot of bodies. So. Yeah. A lot of red flags in the, uh, you know, particularly in the sort of the true crime genre here, we've got all a lot of, uh, a lot of red flags. Um, again, postregister.com has got a great rundown of this. Uh, if you read any Idaho news, of course, we will have updates as soon as we know them. We're following this case closely. Go to truecrimedaily.com to uh, find out more. And uh, like I said, we're, we're definitely monitoring this. So this next case is out of Austin, Texas. Uh, this is about Heidi Broussard, who was 33 when she was reported missing on the morning of December 12th, 2019. 
along with her three-month-old baby, Margot. About a week later, a baby about a month old was found at a residence in the Jersey Village area outside of Houston, which is about 145 miles east of Austin. The woman's, a woman's body was found in the trunk of a car at this residence. It was later identified, unfortunately, as Heidi Broussard. The child, uh, there was a child found inside the residence as well. That child was later confirmed to be missing baby Marco. Uh, Megan Firamuska, 33 years old, was arrested. She was at that house. Firamuska was a friend of Broussard's. They reportedly met at a church camp about 10 years ago. Broussard's cause of death was determined to be a ligature strangulation, most likely strangled by a rope. The baby, fortunately, was healthy. This week, uh, Megan Firamuska was charged with kidnapping and tampering with a body in connection to the case. It's a little background on this. Uh, Investigators say Firamuska had tried to pass baby Margot off as her own. There's a lot of cases out here about uh, uh, stealing babies and and, and doing this kind of stuff. It's uh, horrible. Uh, she had reportedly faked her own pregnancy around the same time as Heidi Broussard's. Again, they were friends for at least 10 years, uh, even tricking the supposed father who she had broken up with uh, the the supposed father of her child, but they were still living together. This man told police that he had not actually seen her bare stomach uh, and just thought that she was at face value pregnant. Uh, rest affidavit says uh, Firamuska was in the delivery room when Heidi Broussard gave birth to baby Marco, uh, in the room along with the father and another woman. She had driven from Houston to attend the birth. She had been telling people that she was 37 weeks pregnant at the time. So this is roughly around the same time frame there. Uh, investigators were led to suspect Firmusca due to uh, witness accounts and surveillance video. They had her under surveillance. When a Texas ranger approached her, she said she had given birth on December 12th, but couldn't recall the name of the birthing center where she had done that. Yeah. That seems um, highly yeah. unlikely for some, such a, a momentous event. Uh, and physically traumatic. Uh, no word on further charges beyond the kidnapping and tampering. The Firamuska's due in court on February 3rd. We'll have updates to this. What do you think about that? They, she's charged with kidnapping and tampering. They've determined that Heidi, was, uh, Heidi Broussard was killed by strangulation. What does it indicate to you that they haven't charged Obviously, it's, they're still investigating, but uh, what, would, what would be the holdup on that? You, you know, I, I was surprised that they didn't charge it, actually. I mean, even without knowing the specific facts of who did the ligature strangulation mm-hmm. um, and the exact circumstances of that taking place, it seems very clear that Fiera Musco is involved in the kidnapping. Mm-hmm. And she obviously has motive here. And one of the things that you look at to establish whether or not a crime is committed and who committed it is motive, opportunity, and means. We have a motive that she wanted the child. Mm-hmm. We have the opportunity. She's caught on video. She's in and out of she's the apartment. She's doing the stuff. And um, the, the baby is found at her house. Margo's at her house. Right. And um, Broussard is in the trunk of a car uh, related to her. And we know for sure that this is a deliberate homicide because it's a ligature strangulation. It's working you hard know, to kill somebody. That's right. And like if, they, if it were blunt force trauma... There may be some heat of the um, moment. Well, not just that, but there could even be some possibility that she had a really bad fall, that she was being kidnapped. Maybe she tried to jump out of the car and she died and they put her in the trunk. But a ligature strangulation seems absolutely like a murder, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. And so you don't do that accidentally. And and you don't have to be the person doing the strangling to be convicted or charged with the murder. Mm -hmm. Um, You could be the person directing the conduct. You could be the person encouraging 
the conduct. Or set the entire thing up or whatever. That's exactly right. So there's so, a possibility there's a third party involved here that uh, maybe they're, they suspect. That, that's exactly right. Maybe there's a third the party. Case. You know, they, they have uh, in, in Texas, they have 90 days, I, I think, to hold her uh-huh. before they actually file murder charges or make a decision regarding the murder charges. Maybe they're hoping that the longer she's in custody, she'll either um, have a visitor that she is honest with, oh. is on a phone call and they could record her phone calls or has a change of heart. Breaks her down. Um, yeah, breaks her down and that she'll, she'll make a confession. And obviously before filing charges, this serious murder charges, um, you know, law enforcement wants as much evidence as they can get. So I wouldn't be surprised if at the end of that 90 day period, when it's time to either cut bait or charge, if they don't choose to charge, even if they have nothing else, because the circumstances are so suspicious and obvious here. And so many of the circumstances are obvious in terms of what happened that it, it seems Difficult to believe that they won't ultimately charge her with the murder as well. The 90-day hold would still apply even though she's being held on. I mean, it's tampering and and kidnapping are no small charges there. That's pretty major stuff. But she would have the opportunity to bail out if they weren't on this 90-day hold. Do I have that correct? You know what? I don't practice in Texas, so I can't say for sure what the law is there. But I know that if somebody were in custody on really serious charges in Los Angeles— and you knew that they weren't going to make bail, mm-hmm. um, you might want to wait until they exhaust their speedy trial rights. Like if I'm if I'm representing um, Fiera Musca in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. and she's being charged with kidnapping and uh, tampering with a dead body, and she has not been charged with murder yet, there's double jeopardy, right? Meaning that she has to be charged with everything that might apply to the case, or they might lose the opportunity if they only charge her with a couple of things. That's a strategy called by the prosecutor. Mm-hmm. As the defense lawyer, if I fear a murder charge down the line, I might want to bring those kidnapping and tampering with the body charges to a conclusion right away. And if I've had her maybe plead to something, take some sort of deal, even if it's five years, 10 years, and somehow we could arrange some sort of deal on that before they filed murder charges, and then later on down the line they file murder, I might have a double jeopardy argument, you know, so they might be thinking the, the, the defense attorney can't take this to hearing until 60 to 90 days. So before this goes to any meaningful hearing and he, and he uh, attaches her speedy trial rights, uh, we'll take as much time as we can and add the murder when we have the best evidence available. This is why I'm glad you're here today. This is exactly (laughs) the type of uh, criminal defense insight that we, uh, that we want to hear. So, again, the case is still developing. We will have uh, updates on truecrimedaily.com uh, as soon as we know them, and I'm sure that there will be more to come on this one. Um, moving on to our comments, we've got a uh, sizable social media following. We get a lot of comments when we post stories on truecrimedaily.com. Uh, this particular one here, Mike, uh, this is about a woman called Kelsey Miller. She graduated from law school but apparently couldn't pass the bar Authorities say she faked being an attorney in the Madison County Public Defender's Office. Um, and this is in, this is in Illinois. Uh, Kelsey Miller apparently forged a state document saying she was a licensed lawyer. Authorities say she pulled off the crime while working in the Public Defender's Office on about 80 different cases. How the heck does this happen? Um, well, if the is a cases, simple forgery good enough to get you in the door at the Public Defender's um, Office? It could be. I, I, I mean, I, I think these smaller jurisdiction. Yeah, and small in these smaller jurisdictions, it probably wouldn't happen in Los Angeles. They mm-hmm. would probably do a search through the state bar, and she would be found not to be a member. 
Um, but I'd like to know what happened with those 80 cases, because if she did a really good job, at least she's using her talents to help people. The story itself, uh, so. <laughs> all of those are under review. And by the way, uh, knowing a little bit, you know, public defenders, 80 cases is one day or more like one or like six months. I mean, and this, this is several months, but yeah, uh, the caseload is notoriously it, it, heavy. It, it really depends on the jurisdiction. I mean, mm-hmm. there are jurisdictions where the caseloads for public defenders are fairly low. And there are jurisdictions, I know that the areas around New Orleans and Louisiana are examples where their caseloads are unbelievably high, not able to manage them high. You are absolutely committing malpractice high. And then you have jurisdictions like Los Angeles. I mean, Los Angeles has the largest public defender's office, I think, in the nation. And the lawyers, while certainly burdened and carrying high caseloads, they're manageable. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what the caseloads for public defenders are like in Madison County, But if they're reasonable and she handles 80 cases over the course of many months and handling 80 cases, we don't know what that means either, because as public defenders, if you touch a case on one court appearance, you're technically handling it. Sure. But you might not be seeing it to its uh, its conclusion. Right. And um, so so it's hard to know exactly what her role was in those 80 cases, whether she was overburdened by those 80 cases whether she did a great job on those 80 cases, whether she was incompetent on those 80 cases. I'm also <laughs> struck by the know. fact that, uh, you know, she was so diehard about this that even though she was thwarted by the, the Illinois bar, she still wanted to go out and help people and wanted to uh, work for the work for the office. That, that's what we hope, right, is that she was in the public defender's office to help people. But some some there are some people that seek government employment for its security and benefits, and not necessarily to help the downtrodden and oppressed. This is a good point. This is a good point. You know, the benefits, uh, they are there, but, I, you know, what a way to go. Um, I, I've always questioned leaving government employment. It is very, very secure yeah. with a good retirement yeah. plan, and I have neither of those. Well, as a commenter, Chad M. says, uh, it's the old, quote, fake it till you make it uh, situation. That, that's here. right. I mean, it, it is aspirational. Uh, Charles H says, well, damn, I just got her as my lawyer. So she won't be in court on Monday to defend me. Well, hopefully she can represent herself. LOL. Hopefully Charles H is, uh, is exaggerating for effect there. If not, I hope, uh, you get another decent lawyer. And then, uh, Jamie G says, uh, I think what we're all thinking, those skills are going to come in handy in jail for her. So it's a win-win. I don't think she's going to jail. <laughs> so while legal skills could come in very handy in, in a jail or prison setting, and it has run through my mind if any sure. if anything bad ever happened to me and I found myself in the confines of a state prison or county jail, I would immediately offer free legal services. I don't think absolutely. that she's going to jail. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> offer services to your fellow uh, inmates. A, yeah, absolutely. To gain favors. Absolutely. You've got one of those skills that uh, goes a long way in there. So you're uh, right. I'm not going to jail, but right. just. <laughs> well. Uh Indeed. Well, so uh, when we know more about that, we will uh, update again. So this next one is out of uh, Lake Worth Beach in Florida. Deputies in Lake Worth Beach arrived at a home this week to assist someone screaming for help. Uh, Someone had apparently called and reported uh, the screaming voices in this particular yard. They showed up. According to description of the video, the man says uh, he taught uh, his parrot, Rambo, to yell, help, help, let me out. When he was younger and Rambo still lived in the cage. Apparently Rambo, by the way, this is not a photo of the bird. This is a stock photo of the bird. I don't have a photo of the bird. But Rambo, the parrot, apparently uh, was out making a, a squawk out there. And it was so bad that law enforcement uh, responded. Um, it's kind of funny, but, uh, you know, it's uh, anyway. So Libby T says, uh, dear Florida, thank you 
for making us giggle this time and not cry. Love every other state. We do have a preponderance <laughs> of Florida stories, uh, and we love you, Florida. Um, and not for that. I mean, it's just, it's a, it's an interesting state. Jacqueline H says, why didn't they ask him for his ID? Wah, wah, wah. Julie M, even the birds down there are out of control. It's true, you know. You would expect, uh, you would expect maybe Jimmy Buffett to be in the, in the room. Um, anyway, that is our show for this week. Thank you, Mike Cavaluzzi, for joining us this week. It's been a pleasure. It's been great to be here. Where uh, can viewers and listeners find out more about what you're up to, about your, your, your firm? They can go to cavaluzzi.com. Two L's, two Z's. Or Google Cavaluzzi Law, and they'll learn all they need to know about me. There you go. That's C-A-V-A-L-L-U-Z-Z-I. And, of course, we'll include uh, details in our descriptions of the podcast and the video to learn more. Thanks again for being here. Find our content on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, and on YouTube. And get updates and subscribe to our newsletter at truecrimedaily.com. Until next week, this is True Crime Daily, the podcast, reminding you, don't do crimes. Don't do crimes.